0: We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I'm here this morning with my co-host, Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. Morning, Laurie. And Dominique Simone Levine. Hi, Dominique. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Kayla, why don't you get us started this morning with what our topic's going to be?
2: Our topic this morning is motivation. And basically, the thought that we have is talking about what gets in the way of people changing, what allows people to feel more energized in terms of change, what keeps you going on that path, and also the gap between having data and knowing what needs to be done and doing that. And motivation
3: being such a big part in our loved one's recovery process. In fact, the entire approach craft is designed for what they call treatment resistant people. It's now much broader and better understood. I think it's not just treatment resistance. It's resistance to all kinds of healthy behaviors and things that might start the process of stepping out of addiction, which I really do see as a process of incremental steps as opposed to the the big hit by lightning and all of a sudden you no longer want to use. And so in between that is a lot of motivation, a lot of false starts. And we watch our loved ones struggle with this and it makes us crazy as family members. But we're here to also talk about family members and their motivation and interesting parallels that we can we can explore between family members who also struggle for the motivation to do the work of craft or to do the work of some change that may be necessary on their end in order to work
1: better with your loved one. So a lot to think about. Totally agree. It is a lot to think about. And when it comes to motivation, especially with substance use disorder, I find that We, as family members, often want our loved ones to be highly motivated to change. And I think that everybody in the world, everybody is resistant to change because simply we're not comfortable with it, right? We're not. How comfortable is it to make life changes? It's hard. It's difficult. And I watched, I was at this conference one time and it was this guy talking to Teenagers and the parents of these teenagers. And he did this incredible thing. He talked for about 10 minutes and then he said, Okay, what I would like everybody to do is I want you to stand up and I want you to switch seats. And I was dying because the teenagers easily got up out of their chair and switched the seats. The parents sat in their seats very uncomfortable and looked around and was extremely hesitant. And many of them did not get up and move. And his point in this activity was, look at how resistant you are to being asked to do something and you're comfortable sitting in your seat and you don't wanna change your seat. And now I'm asking you to do something uncomfortable and you're incredibly resistant. Think about this when you're dealing with a young adult or an adult that's in the making.
2: And remember that the real dynamic of motivation is that there's something that's pulling you towards it, okay? Because there's no way that anybody wants to change unless there's some payoff that is anticipated. You don't go out of your comfort zone unless there's a payoff, So a lot of times the loved ones that we're working at with look at their family members and like, our loved ones must be so uncomfortable. They're on the street. They have to forage for food. They're in dangerous situations. That must be enough motivation. But what happens with with the folks that are using is no matter how dysfunctional their lives look to us, it's a well-beaten path for these folks. It's comfortable, it's familiar, they know what to do. And what we're asking them to do is not only make changes on a daily basis, but then they're looking at creating a life that's completely unknown, unfamiliar, and extremely frightening. And one of the examples that we talked about this week in the group is if people are dual diagnosis, which I consider just about everybody who has a substance abuse issue is dual diagnosis. There's an underlying mental health issue. If they stop using, what happens is their underlying mental health issues comes to the fore because they're self-medicating. And so as soon as they stop, all the depression, all the anxiety, all the low self-esteem, all the sense of insecurity comes basically coming out like a volcano in lava. And if you started using to stop those feelings, the motivation to have access in that way to those feelings Makes you not want to do anything.
1: Totally agree. And I think the other thing that family members need to remember is that not only do those feelings and all of this come back to life, it comes back, like you said, like a volcano. It comes back, and the person, that individual, hasn't had to deal with those feelings for quite a while. They've been able to dim it with drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, right? And the other thing about it is, the drugs and the alcohol are actually an ingenious method to feel better. It happens quickly, right? You quickly feel better. And also what we're asking our family members to do is to live in this misery and create a better life, what we perceive to be a better life. We're asking them to sit and live in this misery. And they know, they know this. They know I have... Quite a while, in fact, I might not be able to see how far ahead it is before I'm going to start to even feel like a normal person. You have to be highly motivated to get to that point, like to just stop and get to that point.
3: All right, it just makes me think that our family members, for, for them, the common common Understanding of what a family can do is not well understood. Craft understands what a family can do. But for most families, it just looks like this big ball that you can't do anything with, and you just want to push it towards professionals, to somebody else who can take care of it. You as the family can also help greatly in moving this person towards healing behaviors, healthy behaviors, recovery services, treatment providers, whatever it is we want to do. So maybe the families aren't seeing the payoff. That's a problem. That's a problem, Kayla. And I've just been on the phone with a family for a couple months, 30 days, because their loved one just got 30 days. And they haven't, it's difficult for me because they haven't cracked the modules. They haven't looked at anything else. They haven't Really rolled up their sleeves and taken a look at at the resources that I've put together for them. Just they have to hunt down the details, but I gave them the best sort of idea of of where to go. And they and so, what is it about a family member that doesn't feel it's their responsibility, or there's simply resistance? What is it that keeps a family member from? From not diving into this work, which I get is not a happy topic. Nobody wants to see Kayla on Wednesday nights, although she's so much fun, you should. But it's they do it because they're hurting, which is the same reason people with addiction stop using. It's because they're hurting. What do we need to say to families? How do we motivate families to do more and to understand that there is more that they can do? There's a couple
2: of things. One is I think that people believe that change is immediate. You know, my partner jokes around with me because like if I go to the gym, I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. I'm getting in shape. And I don't mean like, oh, I've reached the end of the journey. I just mean I'm starting a process. But what's interesting is people want immediate results. They want to, if you make one small change, you want to be able to have the reward immediately. And your loved one is already moving and changing and doing so much better. And that's not the model that we're talking about. I actually don't believe in it. I think that people even who like go to treatment and they say they're clean, they make me nervous. It's a process. You could get clean. You could, you know, you could feel better, but then you have to do the work. And so I think that a lot of people are not interested in doing the day-to-day work that is required of making change. So for, for those that we're working with, the loved ones that we're working with, what we need you to do is focus on incremental change. So you're working on it with the reward of you are changing who you are. Okay, you're changing how you see the world. You're changing how you engage with people. You're changing what the rewards are for yourself and what you're noticing. You're increasing your level of care and gratitude for what is going well. You're noticing positive things. Those things all have an impact, but it's slow. It accumulates. And I feel like it's the same way with the people who are dealing with substance use. They get really impatient that if they you know, stop doing something, or if they are doing better, that things don't automatically get better. And part of it is we're looking at a tremendous amount of wreckage that has happened due to the substance use. Okay. And so you don't like have a tornado come through your life. And then the next day you build your house and it's all together in a day, you have to clean up the mess first, and then you start to build and you want to build on a solid structure. And that takes time. That takes time. And so what really what we're asking for is patience and perseverance and acknowledging the incremental changes that come because without noticing those things and without implementing it that way, it feels like nothing's happening. And that immediately reduces the motivation. Because if you feel like you've done all this stuff and nothing is changing, boom, the motivation's gone.
1: And I hear this. I hear this a lot from families things like why do I have to be the one to do the work or I'm doing more work than my loved one and I don't have the problem so my thoughts are this and of course I don't say this to family members but my thoughts are this if I have someone who's using methamphetamine or opioids someone that I love or someone that's struggling with alcohol whatever it is I have a problem (laughs) right? I, as a family member, I have a problem. It's going to absolutely interfere with my relationship with that person. So I have a problem and I have, I have love for this person. And especially if it's, if it's my child, whether a a young adult, an adult, if it's my adult child, I love them all the same. And I've got to figure out some way to stay connected with this person and do it in a positive way whether they find their way off of using substances or don't and it also could be it could be a spouse it could be a grandchild it could be my thoughts are i have a problem i have a problem in my relationship and it's the same as with any other type of illness you know if my loved one has cancer And trust me, there's behavioral issues that come along with with other illnesses, even cancer. There's lots of behavioral issues that come on simply from the meds that you might use or making relationships incredibly difficult. But as a loved one, as a family member of a loved one who's suffering or, or living with some kind of a chronic illness, I have a problem. If my loved one has cancer, I have a problem. I have to learn how to deal with it.
2: So this is this is great because this is one of my bumper sticker lines, which is, if I am the problem, I am the solution, okay? And to me, that is a power position because in all interpersonal relationships, both people have responsibility for their part of the relationship. And so that's how I see craft. Craft is as a a loved one, my job in this situation is to change how I interact, is to change my expectations, is to change how I'm taking care of myself, it's to change how I deal in the world in general in relation to this issue. So what happens is if my part is causing part of the problem or in any way affecting this, I have this great opportunity to change the dynamic by changing myself and my part of it. And that is the craft model is what's my part of this problem and what's the solution based on that. And that's, I think, the whole issue of motivation. That's the driving force behind craft. And that's the motivation. If I'm the problem, I am the solution. And I'm not saying you're the whole problem, but your part of the dynamic is changeable. And that's what we're looking at. Right. I have a part in the solution.
3: Yes. You have a part in the solution. And what we're suggesting is join with us, do half the modules, which is about six minutes. View half the modules, understand what we're talking about, how we break it down in very concrete, small, little tactical ways that you can start in doing right away. And then join us for five hours of intense training with Lori for free. Just do that 60 minutes and then five hours with Lori, you will have such a good foundation, you will understand what we're talking about. Even the smallest thing, like just removing a a negative comment that you're in the habit of saying, it's going to really improve how you feel. So we're there with the rewards, you're going to find them and feel them pretty quickly. Just got to get in, we got to get you in here somehow.
1: Just to kind of add one little piece to it. The other thing about it is, is that we want our loved ones to be totally committed to their recovery process, which oftentimes doesn't allow for stumbles along the way. And that's kind of asking them to not be human, right? We're asking them to not be human or we're asking them to be so over the top motivated that they're just gonna be on this straight line process in recovery. And that's kind of unreasonable. It's an unreasonable expectation. It's an unreasonable thought that your loved one is going to be able to just be perfect throughout their recovery process. It's also important to understand that, as much as you want your loved one to be motivated to change, you also have to be motivated to change and you have to be willing to make a commitment. And there's oftentimes, When you want to just stop what you're doing. Oh, I'm tired. I I just, I can't. I don't want to do this anymore. When in fact, well, one, be forgiving of yourself. It's okay to take a break, but don't give up on that commitment. Don't give up on coming back and learning and getting some more of those craft skills under your belt and kind of recognize the parallel journey that you're on with your loved one. You want them to be persistent at their recovery, well, then we have to be persistent as well with our recovery. And in fact, the only person that we can hold accountable or the only person that we can expect to be consistent or to to be uh, not consistent, but persistent in their recovery is ourselves. So my thing is I challenge all of our listeners out there to get committed to try and change certain things within yourself because you do have part of the solution, at least towards the connection and the relationship and in setting up a positive environment that makes it more likely for everybody to have positive progress. On that note, Kayla, can you just kind of sum up?
2: So basically the idea is that motivation is what drives change. And so what we're talking about here is how to not only find motivation for yourself in terms of your part of the dynamic to change, but also continue to give yourself time and space for the process. And also allow for these moments of it's not quite working and you're not gonna feel motivated every minute, which is fine, but get back on. You wanna go back to to the process. And so many times we have people say, you know, I wanna change, but I don't know how. And what we're saying is we have this map for you to use, this toolbox for you to pick up. And as long as you're interested and pick up the tools, things will change. You just have to be persistent about using them.
1: Okay, great, ladies. Thank you so much. And we will be back next week with a new topic. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening.